0: Good to see you on this beautiful Sunday morning. Like Jeri said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. It's good to have you here with us. Also, welcome to anybody who might be listening to us through our website or our podcast. It's also great to have you listening to us this morning as well. Well, like Jeri said, I just want a real quick plug for uh, what's happening this evening the uh, volunteer appreciation uh, uh, dinner tonight. It's just a real simple way for us to say thank you. We realize, Shannon and I, my wife, uh, as we lead this congregation and help, you know, empower you guys to do what God has called us to do, we can't do any of this without people who faithfully serve for free each and every week to build this church here. And this is just a a great opportunity for us to say thank you to each and every one of you. And so um, if you serve in any way, whatsoever um, in this community of faith here, uh, we want to thank you tonight. So show up tonight, 6 p.m., your children are welcome as well. Or well, if you're like me, you have been <laughs> taking in a lot of news uh, lately. Um, if you know me, you know that I uh, consume a lot of news. But if you've been watching the news lately, you know that there's a whole lot to be worried about. Uh, when I, you know, consider the political arena, I spent the last couple of weeks watching both conventions. I watched the RNC uh, a couple of weeks ago and just this past week I spent some time watching uh, the Democratic National Convention and while there's some flickers of light and hope in there somewhere, I'm disappointed to say that I was really concerned by what I saw as many of you have reflected (laughs) on social media. So when I look out in the world, particularly what's going on politically in this country, I'm I'm kind of concerned And there's lots of reasons for me to be concerned. As I continue to watch the news and read the newspaper and entertain social media, I also see that terrorism is is on the rise. All these seemingly random acts of terrorism, both foreign and domestic, and the ensuing panic and fear that comes along with it, there's plenty to be concerned about. And I go on and on and on about the things that are happening in the news, but even when I localize it to my own life, my own personal life, the things that I'm struggling with, the things that are going on in my immediate family, my struggles, and the things that are going on in my broader network of family and friends, there's plenty of things to be afraid about, plenty of things that could cause concern, plenty of things that would cause me to get my eyes off of what's most important. So as I consume the news and as I survey my life and see all the things that are going on, I come to one conclusion, and that conclusion is this. The thing that I need most to happen in my life is that I need God to show up. The thing that you perhaps need the most, whether you know it or not, you need God to show up. I have to say this as a matter of clarification because some of you are going, isn't God always with us? Isn't he omnipresent? Like, doesn't His Spirit go with us always, that, that is true. That is true. But in the life of a Christian, when we say we need God to show up, we don't need, mean that God needs to come back off a of vacation and start tending to us again. Essentially what we need, what, what we mean to say is that in this pronounced situation of fear, discouragement, peril, whatever's going on in my life, I need like God's presence to really show up in a pronounced way in a way that rises to the occasion of my circumstance, in a way that speaks louder than my fears, in a way that, that lets me know that God is near me, especially in those moments when I can't feel him, especially in those moments where whatever's happening externally crowds out his voice or crowds out the safety and the comfort and the peace that we talked about last week when we set our feet on the rock, that it's Jesus. I need God to show up. And in the seasons of my life, and many of us know that our life happens in seasons, there's two specific seasons of my life where I need God to show up the most. The first is when I'm in the valley. When I'm in the valley. And in the valley is just Christian code 4. I'm in a dark place. I'm in a bad place. I'm in a place where evil is around me. I'm in a place where perhaps my enemies are are either getting the best of me or threatening to get the best of me. I'm in the valley. I, I'm, in, I'm in need. I'm in want. I'm afraid. There's stuff pressing in on every side. I need to experience God in the valley because in the valley is one of the hardest places to perceive God's presence and power and his peace. And some of you say, preacher, you can move past this because you don't need to tell me about the valley because I'm, I'm in one right now. I've been there for a while. I'm discouraged. I'm disappointed. I'm angry with people. I'm angry with God. I don't know which way is up. I'm in the valley. And and my experience tells me that I need God. I need God more than ever when I'm in the valley. But I also need God when I'm on the mountaintop. When I'm on the mountaintop, right? Because when I'm in the valley, it's dark. I'm scared. I'm crying out to God, (laughs) right? Right? I'm aware of my need for him in the valley, but when I'm on the mountaintop, when things are going well, I'm not always so aware of God's presence. I'm not always so aware of my need for his presence in my life. In fact, I might need God more on the mountaintop than I might need him in the valley because on the mountaintop, I might get full of myself. I might think that I did this. I might be tempted to pull some of the unhealthy snacks of life up there with me to help me celebrate this mountaintop experience. And I've found that when I'm on the mountaintop, when I'm doing well, it's one of those seasons of my life where I need to God to show up, perhaps even more so than when I'm in the valley. And so we've got the valley, we've got the mountaintop, and we need God to show up every place else in between friends. We need God God to show up in a major way in our life no matter what season you're in in your life right now you need God to show up especially if you're in the valley especially if you're on the mountaintop and since in a room this large we know that there's some folks in the valley today we know that there's some folks on the mountaintop and the rest of us fall someplace in between uh, because of that and because we need God's presence at every space along these seasons of life I'm going to begin a brand new series this morning that I'm simply calling When God Shows Up. When God Shows Up. Friends, you need God to show up in your life because when God shows up, he brings the goodness and the sweetness and the power and the presence of his kingdom. When God shows up, the things that you need come along with him. And so regardless of whether you know what you need or not, Regardless of whether you're in touch with your real needs, and most of us aren't really in touch with our real needs, we're in touch with what we want. We're in touch with our wish list, right? Um, But when God shows up, some things come along with him, and the goal of this series is to help you recognize what you really need and also to help you be aware of your need for God's presence and help you be able to recognize him when he shows up, no matter what season of life you are in. And so one of the defining Uh, characteristics of God showing up is that God meets our needs. God meets our needs. And so a couple of months ago, when we were looking at Psalm 23, um, the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. And what we suggested in that moment is that if you don't have it, (laughs) then you probably don't need it. And that's a helpful uh, discovery to make because some of you are saying, well, God hasn't showed up for me in a long time because I don't have these things that I've been praying for. I don't have these things that I've been petitioning him for. I've had to go out and buy knee pads because I've been on my knees so much praying for these things, and God must not be showing up because I don't have those things yet. And it just might be the case that since you don't have those things yet, that you might not need those things yet. Because when God shows up, we encounter a God who meets our needs. And that's the subject for today. Simply calling this message a God who meets our needs. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me this morning. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible at home, by the way, feel free to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're also going to project the words on the screens in front of us. I'll start at verse 1, but before I read today, let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so much, Father, for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity that I get to stand up in front of your people and to bring your word, to preach your gospel, your good news. And so, Father, I pray today that you would meet, meet each and every person here Uh, exactly where they are this morning. Lord, in a room this size, there are people probably on every station of the seasons of life, up, down, and every place in between. And Father, I pray that you would use these same words to minister to each individual person today exactly where they are. Lord, I specifically pray for those who are in the valley today, those those who, who are in crisis, particularly those who are quietly suffering, Lord. Lord, we need a word from you this morning. Would you help us to encounter... The God that meets our needs. Lord, put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 19. And so for those of you unfamiliar uh, with this particular book of the Bible, this particular book of the Bible tells the story of, the kings of some of the kings of Israel. And what you need to know is that many of the kings of Israel were not people who actively followed God. In other words, many of the kings over God's chosen people in Israel, which is the kind of setting here in 1 Kings, did not honor God. Some of them started well, but it wasn't long before many of them started to go after other gods and sort of do their own thing. And so First Kings tells us the story of the kings of the nation of Israel. But along with these kings, we also see the stories of the prophets that were um, also dispatched in these places in order to speak God's word to God's people. We had the kings, but we also had the prophets. And the prophets were people who worked for God, and they simply spoke to God on behalf of the people. And sometimes they came saying positive things. God's going to bless you. He's going to reward you. He's going to release you from famine. But oftentimes, these prophets came bringing messages that nobody wanted to hear, right? And so God's voice to his people uh, was what we also find in the book of 1 Kings. And so the, pro- the kings that we're dealing with here is King Ahab, wicked dude, served other gods, But we're also dealing with the prophet Elijah, with a J, Elijah. And so we read this uh, excerpt here in 1 Kings chapter 19, which started at verse 1. When King Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you, Just as you killed them. She's threatening the prophet Elijah. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have done, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Verse 7 Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Verse 11, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and traveled to the wilderness of Damascus, when you arrived there, anoint Hazael, the king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Snaphat, from the town of Abelmenhola, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael, will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha, verse 18. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Rather lengthy passage, but there's a lot in there, right? And so we see this episode where the prophet Elijah is really, really upset, really, really dis, uh, d- disappointed, and he's disgruntled. But to understand what just happened here, we really have to understand what happened in chapter 18. And basically what happens in chapter 18 is King Ahab and Jezebel, they had basically said in Israel, among the people of God, that this wicked pagan god, Baal, would be the official sort of religion or god of the nation of Israel. It's a really wicked thing to do. And so Elijah did not like that. And so in order to try to win the affections of God's people back over to them, uh, Elijah calls all of these Israelites uh, uh, to, Mount, um, to, Ma- to Mount Carmel for this display of God's power. And basically, uh, Elijah is saying, I bet my God could whip your God, right? And so if you read this chapter 18, which is a fascinating chapter, I'm assigning it to you as homework, you'll see this magnificent display of God's power. And basically what Elijah does, he sets up an altar on this side and he makes this sort of magnificent display. He says, hey, you guys who serve Baal, you do the same thing. Set up this altar, put this sacrifice on it, and you call down your God and I'm going to call down my God. And whoever God shows up, that's the God that's legit, right? And he says, hey, you Baal worshipers, you prophets of Baal, you guys go first. And so these guys... They whine and they cry out to their gods all day and the God doesn't show up. Nothing happens to this sacrifice. They take to cutting themselves and doing all these rituals and all day long they do this thing and nothing happens. Their God doesn't show up. Elijah even sort of jeers at them a little bit. Hey, maybe he went to the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping. Call out louder and maybe he'll show up. Nothing happens. So it's Elijah's turn, right? And he calls out to God. He says, Lord, do what you do right and fire from heaven consumes this thing licks up all the water and com- this complete display of god's power in front of all of these israelites right and they see that god is the true god and that he has power but it doesn't really do anything the people don't really like gravitate toward god these wicked kings don't acknowledge that their god is false and so 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 nothing really happens as a result of this huge power display and, but, but what happens as a result is Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, you know what? Since you killed my prophets, since you made a fool of us, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. She says, if you're not dead this time tomorrow, may the gods kill me. And verse 3 tells us Elijah's response to that threat. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, and he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness. And then he prayed, God, just kill me. Just kill me. Just just take my life. Just take my life. Now, what does Elijah need right here? He needs for God to show up (laughs) in a personal way, right? He's seen God's power in this magnificent public display. He's spoken for God to others many, many times. What, what this prophet needs right now, he needs a personal touch from the Lord. Is it because he's on the mountaintop or is his brother in a valley? He's in a valley. Not just a valley, but he's in a deep, deep valley. He's afraid for his life. He's disappointed with God, Right? Verse 3 tells us that he dropped his servant off in Judah. Now, a casual read of that, you wouldn't think anything of it, but that's a pretty significant detail, right? That would be the equivalent of me saying to all of our ministry leaders, hey, I don't need you guys anymore. You guys can go home. It's done. One of my favorite preachers, Tim Keller, says that essentially what Elijah did is he fired his staff. Now, he needs this guy to minister. He takes this guy with him everywhere to, to minister, to do the work of the Lord. And so in saying, hey, I don't need you anymore. Why don't you stay here? This is, a, this is a huge statement. He's laying down one of his most significant ministry tools. He's firing his staff. And next he goes alone into the wilderness, and he prays to God, Lord, just kill me. I'm done with this. Just, just kill me. And so these are all the signs of a servant of the Lord that is that is giving up that's throwing in the towel the deepest valley of discouragement fear panic weariness he's giving up and some of you recognize these signs because if you are honest particularly those of you who are in a valley you recognize these signs you recognize the fear right You recognize the panic. You recognize being disappointed with God. You recognize being in a place where you're stuck. You recognize that you woke up one day and life was harder than it was the day before. And if you're particularly unlucky, it got harder the next day and the harder the next day. And you were just like, Lord, where are you at? God, where are you? Serving the Lord and your kids get sick. And they stay sick. And you're like, Lord, where are you? You You're serving the Lord. You be faithful to him. And all of a sudden, your money is funny. And like, you you can't get ahead. You're serving the Lord and honoring your vows to him, loving God and loving people. And your marriage all of a sudden is on the rocks. And the list goes on and on and on. And you recognize this, this stage of life where things aren't going the way you want to. And you're disappointed with life. And you're disappointed with God. You recognize this. You especially recognize this, particularly for those of you who are serving the Lord, you start to lay down some things that God didn't tell you to lay down. You start to unloading some things and some responsibilities in the kingdom, not because the seasons changed in your life, but because life got hard. And because sometimes disappointment with God manifests itself in a way where you say, fine, if you won't take care of me, I won't take care of you. If you won't show up in my life, I won't show up in your stuff. Now don't mishear me here because seasons of life change. You have a child, somebody gets sick, you change jobs, adjustments are necessary. Don't hear me saying that adjustments aren't necessary, but you know if you've laid down something that God didn't tell you to lay down, you know that there's a difference in you, some things that you would, before you would, you would, you would would miss certain things. You would be right in the thick of what God was doing. You, you, you felt guilty if you missed church or you felt guilty if you didn't go to small group and you tried to budget your life such that that was a rare occurrence. But in this stage of your life, uh, where you're stuck, in this stage of your life where you're disappointed, at this stage of your life where you're angry with God, it just gets easier to stay home. It gets easier to plan all sorts of things and to squeeze out God's things. It gets easier to lay down these ministry things and these kingdom things that used to be a staple in your life because you're angry, you're afraid, you're disappointed with God. And so the progression follows that. You lay these things down, and what did Elijah do? He went off alone. He went off alone into the wilderness. He went off alone into the wilderness. And listen, this is one of the, This is one of the worst stages of this progression of decline where you go off alone. So in a community this size, it's, it's so obvious when somebody goes off alone. An enemy just glories in that because he knows that he's got you away from safety, away from security, away from accountability, away from the regular injections of God's word and his righteous truth. He loves that. You seek to go alone, off alone into the wilderness. After you've laid down the things that God has not told you to lay down, you're alone. And the final terrible stage of this is that he wished for death. Now, actually, he's wishing for literal death. Won't take it upon himself to take his own life, but he's asking, Lord, Lord, be merciful to me. Uh, Just kill me. And some of you have even in the valley of your life, consider taking your own life. Or you've fantasized about just being free from it all in the way that really shows a pronounced sense of valliness if we could use a made-up word. There's no worship here. There's no adoration. There's no kind words toward the Lord when he shows up. Elijah is in a bad spot if some of you are honest, so are you, for a number of reasons. But I love it that the scriptures tell us that God's strength is made perfect. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Strength is made perfect in our weakness, but the psalmist also tells us that we serve a pursuing God, a pursuing God where goodness and mercy follows me uh, all the days of my life. In one sense, I imagine goodness and mercy like secret service. Wherever I go, they're on the move with me, right? Particularly as I engage the kingdom work and I live, use my life for what God called me to use it for. But I also imagine goodness and mercy pursuing me as I lay down my ministry tools in a fit of rage, in a fit of uh, pity. I see this pursuing God this goodness and mercy pursuing me even as I turn my back to God. That same goodness and mercy that keeps watch over me and follows me as I do the kingdom work is the same goodness and mercy that is on my heels (laughs) when I leave, when I wander alone into the wilderness. And so he needs God's strength to be made perfect in his weakness. He needs to encounter this pursuing God. And as God shows up in Elijah's life, we see three basic needs get met when God shows up. And I think these, as we look at this this morning, it's helpful to see these three basic needs uh, being met in our own life. The hope is that we have eyes to see that God is working in our life in the same way that he's working in Elijah's life. Three basic needs, I'll jog through them quickly. The first basic need that gets met when God shows up is physical needs. Let's just say our physical needs. And this is important because I think we can over-spiritualize life. Right? We can over-spiritualize life. Hey, sister, what do you need? Hey, brother, what do you need? You know, I need more of the oil of the Lord. Yeah, you need some oil. What do you need? I just need a fresh wind of God to blow in my life. Yeah, you need that. I just need just the, just the more of the Lord. Yeah, you need that. But you also need an apple, right? And you need some bread and you need some water, particularly if God wills for you to live another day on this earth, you, you, like, you need food, right? You need natural things. And this seems really basic. This seems really trivial, right? But I, what, what if you understood that the God that pursues you, the God whose strength is made perfect in your weakness, cares as much about your physical needs, who values your physical needs, who will meet your physical needs? Like, what if you really understood that you served a God who would meet your physical needs. And so one of the first things we see when God shows up, particularly through this angel in verse 5, is that God meets this physical need. Elijah lays down under this tree. Angel comes to him and says, get up and eat. And so Elijah's like, eat what? I didn't bring any food out of here. I didn't cook anything. And so it looks over, and guess what? There, right there. Uh, by his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. Scripture tells us that he ate and drank and he lay down again. But he didn't lay down for long before the angel tapped him again and said, hey, 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 get up and eat some more. He looked around again, and sure enough, right there was some baked bread It's probably the good stuff, right? Like from Panera, the good stuff, right? And a a jar of water, no doubt, is probably the most refreshing water uh, that he'd ever drank because it came from God. And so verse 8 basically tells us that he's going to need his strength because God's not done with this guy yet. I want him to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he's going to have a more pronounced encounter with God. God wasn't done with him, and so these needs that he had were met, but they were physical needs. Nothing really spiritual about it. It's supernatural that bread just shows up, and there's no oven, and there's no body baking it. That's supernatural. But it's, it's, it's a very natural need that was met. God meets, meets our physical and natural needs. Now, let me also say and, and, and that God often meets our natural physical needs through other people. Through other people in community life like this. And so it's not often the case that God will just sort of drop a glass of water on your bed, you know, on your nightstand. Or just you go in your refrigerator and there's tons of food in there. God can do that, but he seeks to use us to do those things. And so I'll say this just as as an aside today. If you are here today, you're part of this community, and you don't have the basic things that you need. You haven't, you know, reached out for help for some of the basic things that you need. Listen, that's part of the reason that we're here. And God could just sort of supernaturally drop something on you. But he allows us to get involved in it and allows us to be blessed by being a blessing to you. I say that because I'm often hearing of a person four to three, four weeks into not having any food, and I'm like, why didn't you just ask us, right? But the bigger point here is that we serve a God who meets our natural, physical needs. And so you say, preacher, that can be the case because I've been praying for X, Y, Z, For the longest time, for the longest time, I've come up to the altar every week. I've called into the 700 Club and I had them pray. I called Brother Hagen and Brother Swaggin and I've had all these guys pray, and nothing has moved. I've not gotten this thing. Well, it might be the case. It might be the case that you don't need that. It might be the case that you don't need that. It might be the case that what God has for you and in this season of your life, that is not what God has for you. What's true is we serve a God that eagerly meets our physical needs according to his plan and his purpose for our life. The second thing we see here is that when God shows up, he meets our emotional needs, our emotional needs, our emotional needs. We all have a need, You can try to play cool, and you can try to be this loner if you want to, but we all have deep emotional needs, a need to be known, a need to be missed when we're away, a need to be pursued, a need to be heard. One of the things that jumps out to me in a way that it hadn't jumped out before is that God asks Elijah a question. The question that God asks Elijah, he says, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so this, this is a really loaded question. It's a really loaded question. Basically, what God is asking Elijah, he's saying, hey, man, what's going on? What's up? You, you're acting real strange, bro. What's up? Elijah got to the cage in verse, cave in verse 9, and the Lord says, what are you doing here, Elijah? In other words, he's saying, Tel, tell me all about it, son. What's going on in your life? Now, don't think for a second that the omnipotent God is asking for information that he doesn't know. Don't think for a second. He said, wait, wait, slow down, slow down. Let me get these details right because I want to be able to help you. No, God is asking this question because it's sometimes very therapeutic for us to talk about uh, what's on our heart, to talk about the problem. Now, God knows your issue. He knows your problem. He knows your place and station in life, regardless of what you say. But oftentimes, especially through the vehicle of prayer, as you talk to God about your problem, you discover things that you didn't know about where you are in life. You discover things about your situation that you didn't particularly know. As you voice some things, they sound crazier to you once you speak it. They sounded perfectly sane as you rehearsed it in your heart. But well, as you begin to talk about it, as you begin to let it out, you begin to see that things aren't quite right. So God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And Elijah says this in verse 10. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to, to kill me too. Now the prophet Elijah, he doesn't say, he doesn't say much here, just only a few sentences, but he says a whole lot by way of letting us know what his real issue is, what's really bothering him. And so I think that if you guys really understood the power of prayer, what happens when we speak to God, we, we would pray more, Right? If you understood the power of what happens in your life and in your heart and your connection with God when you actually are honest about where you are and you say, God, I'm scared, or God, I'm hurting, or God, I'm alone, or God, I feel forsaken, or God, I don't trust you a whole lot right now, that sounds almost dishonoring. That sounds like you're, you're, you're gonna be in the doghouse. That sounds like you're being disrespectful, but our prayer to God should be dishonest, should be honest, excuse me, because this is, this is part of what it means to communicate with God, to communicate with God. And when God comes to Elijah, he says, hey man, what's the problem? What's on your mind? What's on your heart? And Elijah just sort of lays this thing out. And what I see when I look at his response, Elijah's response here, his answer is very revealing. It's extremely telling. Elijah says, I have been zealous for you. I have been faithful. And if you read between the lines, Elijah's saying, I have kept my end of the bargain, and Lord, you don't seem to be keeping yours. There's disappointment in his voice. There's disappointment in his account of what's happening. We've seen lots of this disappointment in Scripture. God, if you just do what I... Listen, I've been keeping my end. I just did that magnificent display of your power. What should have happened was every knee should have bowed. The king should have come to faith. And like we shouldn't be dealing with this mess, I certainly shouldn't be on the run because I've been zealous for you. I've been faithful to you. I've showed up to church. I've put my money in the plate. I've encouraged others. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Lord, if you would just get behind my plan, like, we would would really, you know, get on with this thing. He says, I've been zealous. I've been faithful. He's disappointed with God. And he continues on uh, by saying this, and God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. Now, the casual reader will just skip by that, but I know too much to go too quickly past that point. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And so how many of you, when you've been in the valley, particularly when you've been faithful to God, you brought this point up before the Lord? Lord, I I seem like the the only one who's single and keeping myself for you, and I still, you know, you still won't reward me. Lord, I'm the, I'm the only one doing this, and I'm, I'm the only one doing this, and I'm, I'm the only one, Lord. And, and I, I'm, I'm entitled. I, I, I'm old. It's my ship should come in right now because I'm the only one, Lord. It's like, it's like your child, like when they're when they when they're the only one up. You know, you got three kids, and one is up. He's like, hey, since everybody's asleep, can I have a treat? Like, since since it's just me, right? When everybody's acting a fool and that one kid is being an angel, they're like, hey, you going to reward me, right? And so this is big. This is big because it, it, it highlights some skewed vision, some broken perspective, which leads him to a place of feeling entitled to something that God just isn't going to work out that way. And so God listens to Elijah. And in listening to him, he meets this emotional need to be heard, but also in listening to him, he lets Elijah speak, which really reveals the content of his heart. And what is revealed is that Elijah has not just physical needs, not just emotional needs, but as he speaks, we see that he has deep spiritual needs as well that God needs to meet meet quick, fast, in a hurry. And so the third need that God meets for Elijah when he shows up he meets this deep spiritual need. And our spiritual needs have to do with our soul. Our spiritual needs have to deal with our relationship with God. Where are you with God is the essence of the spiritual needs that we have. We ask often, how's your soul? How's your life with Jesus? And I'm not asking you to give, show me a log of your, you know, prayer times. I'm not asking you to show me a log of which books of the Bible and you're tracking along your one-year plan. That's fantastic. But I'm asking, how's your soul? How's your guts as it relates to your relationship with God? How's your soul? And so when God begins to listen to Elijah and Elijah begins to speak, we reveal that where he stands with God is really, really shaky because he's disappointed with God. God hasn't come through in the way that he's expected, and so he's a little upset with God. And so what Elijah needs most is for God to come and minister to his soul. Biggest need we have right here, and there's three specific ways that God ministers to Elijah's soul as he meets his spiritual needs, and the first is that God shows up in power. He shows up in power. He lets Elijah speak, and after he speaks, verse 11, God says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a the sound of a gentle whisper. Another version says a still small Voice and God was in that small voice. And so I'm struck by the power displays that we saw before Elijah's face as he stood there on the mountain. Now, God is the God of the fire, He's the God of the earthquake, He's the God of the windstorm, and no doubt He had mastery over all of those things. But the scriptures tell us that the power of God was displayed when, after all of those things, God spoke to him and He still small voice now why do we put the still small voice in the power category Uh, because everybody has access to some quiet everybody has access to getting away and stealing away and allowing god to speak to them in the quiet of your soul this is especially important for me because i like loud stuff i like i grew up in uh, you know a charismatic black church well, we, we, there was a lot of action there, and there was a lot of activity there, and there was a lot of bombast there, and I thank God for that. But in some ways, we trained ourselves to think that God could only show up and God could only display his power if folks were running around the church and if people were being slain in the spirit, and if the van was kicked up into a ruckus. And so we begin to perceive that God was not in the more simpler things. But the older I got, and the more my spiritual needs were more pronounced And the more I needed God to show up in my life, the more I found that I experienced more of God's power and more of his truth and more of his revelation in the quiet of my bedroom than I did in any service. That God would speak to me when I would... Turn down the noises in my life That he would show up And I would begin to weep And i begin to learn his voice And hear uh, his voice And discern the rhythms for my life And get some, some answers for my questions And to get some, 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 some helpful vision for my life Not in the service where everything was kicked up But in the quietness The powerful stillness And the quietness of God's voice That's especially true Because on Sunday mornings Like, listen, we're, many of us, we're working we're on the clock and so for many of us this is this is a place where we meet God but most of us are tasked with helping others meet God and so if this is the only place where we can hear God's voice if this is the only place where we can discern his power then many of us would be in trouble because sometimes we're just facilitating too much to get into a place where we can hear God's voice and have a minister to our hearts but I'm so happy I'm so glad that God is most powerful, oftentimes in in the quiet of his presence, stillness of his voice, that anybody who is willing to carve out some time to get alone and to sit alone with God, that God can show his power in in magnificent ways. Oftentimes it's a quiet word of prophecy where God is speaking the secrets of your heart from from you to a stranger. Maybe it's the uh, the, the the quiet encouragement of a stranger. Maybe it's not the big band playing today. We have a more chill acoustic set today. And somebody said, "Man, I really I really like when the whole band is kicked up." And maybe God will minister to you through just the simplicity of one guitar and a couple of voices. Maybe God will speak to you in powerful ways and instruct you as you open. The scriptures, scriptures that you've read dozens of times before, but today it speaks to you in a way that it didn't speak to you yesterday. God comes oftentimes powerful ways in the quiet, in the quiet. And so God met his spiritual needs, or at least tempted to meet his spiritual needs, um, with power. But an interesting thing happened, right? That didn't really move Elijah, right? If you look at verse 13 and 14, like, God asked him a question again. Why are you here, Elijah? Is it to say, how are you doing now? Like, ask him again, how are you doing now? And it almost looks like the author author just sort of copies and pastes the same section because Elijah gives the same exact answer. I got to tell you, this is an awkward passage. I almost, like, skipped it because it wasn't an easy one to preach from. It doesn't doesn't resolve very well. Oftentimes, we're interacting with Scripture. There's this problem. God shows up. There's this solution, and worship ensues, and they just sort of dance off into the sunset. Well, this doesn't really happen this way. God shows up in power. All this stuff is happening. God's speaking to him. He's listening. And this is an awkward passage because, you know, Elijah doesn't seem to be moved by any of this. So yet there's more spiritual needs to be unpacked here. And so we talked about God showing up in power, but the second way that God shows up to meet the spiritual need is that he provides direction for this man. Direction. God's showing up, he provided direction. And direction simply answers the question, Lord, where am I going? What am I doing? If you're stuck in your life, if you're feeling particularly lost, if you're feeling uninspired, what you need most, by way of your spiritual needs being met, is you need the voice of God to speak to you and tell you, what, what, do I, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? So verse 15 tells us, the Lord says, go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Heziel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king, and then anoint Elijah to take over for you, anoint Elijah to replace you as my prophet. Now this gets super awkward because it's, it seems like this is getting worse. When God gives me my assignment, I want it to be something like awesome, like go and preach to the nations. They're going to all come back. And on your way to preaching to those nations, you're going to feel inspired again. You're going to feel happy again. You're going to feel my spirit again. Basically, what God tells Elias is, you know, I need you to be done. You've come to the end of your usefulness here. And I have to read this again because I'm like, maybe, maybe it's in the next chapter where he's redeemed and he's restored. But God is just like, you know what? Go anoint that guy as a king. Go anoint that guy as king. And for you, listen, this is, this is the end. This is the end. Again, you're like, God, uh, meeting my needs is supposed to feel good. I'm supposed to feel some sense of accomplishment, right? No, but what you need God to tell you by way of direction is actually what's next for you. It may not feel good. It may not be something you want to post on Facebook, (laughs) right? It might mean, hey, your job is done. Go anoint your successor. And so why is this important? Why, why, Why did I not take the easy road and sort of skip this passage and pick something that resolves better. Because listen, God's assignment for you is God's assignment for you, and we don't get to edit it. And sometimes it's unpleasant. Sometimes you've you've just run your course, and sometimes God's going to move you on to something else and, and appoint someone else, or sometimes God's assignment for you the next stage is kind of like punitive. It's like The consequences of your actions or the consequences of your rebellion will cause the season of life that's next for you to be something unpleasant. Either way, God's direction for you is not for me to edit. Like, God tells me to, like, deliver the mail. I don't get to edit the mail. I don't get to take out the bills. I don't get to take out the pink slips. I just need to bring you, like, what God says. And oftentimes, God's next step for you is, you know what, You were unfaithful in your marriage. You need to sit there for the years that it's going to take for healing. You cheated and stole something from your job. Well, that's... Listen, that's... Your your next season, your next step is for you to bear the consequences of that out. Or you, you... Listen... What I've gifted you and, and, and given you talents for and the patience for and the grace for is something that I can't trust a whole lot of people with. So your next assignment is just a gritty one. It's long. It's tedious. It's thankless. It, it's, it's back in the corner in the back room, but this is like we live for God's glory and not our own. And so the deepest spiritual need that many of us need is just the need for direction. God, what is next? What's next? But you'll never get direction if you, if you keep running from God. You'll never get direction if you just keep taking yourself out of the way of God's voice. You know where Elisha is right now? He's at Mount Sinai. He's at the mountain of God. Where Moses went, when he needed to hear a word from the Lord, when he needed to see God's face. Like, even in the midst of this discouragement, even in the midst of this pain, even in the midst of being disappointed, he went to see and talk to God. And as he talked to God... He heard God's voice. He saw his power. And as he talked to God, God told him what was next for his life, even though it wasn't um, pleasant. The third aspect of the sort of spiritual needs that were met, he gives him, he shows him his power, he shows him his direction. The third one here is that God shows Elijah, gives him for some perspective. He gives him some perspective. I told you earlier that one of the things that jumped out at me is Elijah says, listen, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one living righteously. I'm the only prophet doing this for real. And some things should just be happening because I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's righteous. Give me a break, right? And again, verse 18, if you you go past it too quickly, you'll miss it. But this is what the Lord says. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And so he's saying, Elijah, this don't get this thing mixed up, dude. Climb down off the pedestal, you're putting yourself on. Okay, set aside your press clippings. I know you've done some wonderful things, but listen, I got 7,000 other folks who haven't bowed and kissed this statue. You're good, but you're not that good. You're righteous, but you're not that righteous. And so what God is offering him is some perspective. He, he, he picked up on that little line that you're the only one, brother, you're not the only one. And not, it's not only important for you not to know that you're the only one, but it's also important for you not to sort of increase your sense of importance here. Because the more important you are in your own eyes, the more righteous you are in your own eyes, the more you feel like God owes you something. And I think this line, given, you know, Elijah's next assignment, which is basically go anoint your successor, and it's and the end is near for you, I think this line is in here more for us than it is for Elijah. Because some of you have the I'm the only one syndrome. The only one, Lord. I'm the only one. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Why don't you go to that conference so you can see 25,000 people pack an arena that are serving and loving the, loving the Lord and clamoring for more of his presence. Why don't you start a single small group so you can interact with other single men and women who are fighting this good fight and living and doing the hard things to press into a place of healthy singleness? Why don't you open your eyes and see that I got 7,000 other folks who who have not bowed their knee to bail them to kiss the statue. There's power in perspective. There's power in perspective. Because from an unhealthy perspective, flows disappointment, flows isolation, flows fear, flows weariness, and you begin to see everything through that lens, and then you're in the wilderness by yourself, accusing God of holding out the goods. God says, I got 7,000 folks. And so in God's presence, you deal with our spirit that's ruptured and broken and Flawed and skewed, it gives us perspective. Perspective. And this is what we need more than anything else. This is what we need more than anything else. I told you, there's not like a, like a happy resolution to this. There's not like a... But some of you needed to know in worship team, you can come up that we serve a God that meets our needs. But you said, I don't feel like my needs are getting mad. Well, this isn't really about how you feel. Like, if this was about how I felt, like, I'd, I'd be sleeping right now. I'd be in my bed. i feel like getting up today. I wanted to sleep in. I wanted to snuggle next to my wife, right? It's not about how I feel. And if we reduce our life with God to how we feel, we will find ourselves Laying down our stuff, laying down our tools, crossing our arms, wandering into solitude uh, to the the desert, to to the wilderness, disgruntled with God. This is not about how we feel. What is this about? This is about the true and living God and understanding who he really is, and we can rehearse that truth even when we don't feel it. And the truth is that we serve a God who meets our needs. And that's important because if we discovered that we are not getting what we want, if we're not getting what we think we need, then we can only conclude that God has not changed, that God is still good, and that if I don't have it right now, I simply do not need it. And for those of you who are in a bad place today, you don't need more money might be helpful. You don't need a different boss. You don't need another spouse. You need for God to show up in your life. You need for an uptick of his presence so that you can experience the God that meets your physical needs according to his glory, according to his plan, a God who meets your emotional needs, who listens to you when you speak, a God that meets your spiritual needs, shows up in power, provides direction, and gives us all some much needed perspective. Where are you today? Where are you today? Are you in the wilderness? Are you out on your own? You say, I'm here today. Well, you can be here and not here. You understand what I'm saying? And some of you are physically present, but in your heart, you're out in the wilderness. You surveyed your life. You've laid down things that God didn't tell you to lay down, and and you, and you just, you're kind of a mess right now. But we're inviting the presence of God into our space today. We're in his house today, and we want to encounter the God that meets our needs and makes us aware of those needs being met. And so as we worship today, I'm asking us all to press into a place where we ask God to show up in a way that we need him this morning. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for showing up when we need you most. Thank you, Lord, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. Lord, that when we get in our feelings and when we get beside ourselves and when we just want to lay down everything and run away, Father, you steal your goodness and mercy. It chases us down. Your goodness and mercy, it pursues us. And God, you show up over and over again. And so, Lord, I pray specifically for those today who are having trouble uh, perceiving your presence, who are having trouble, Lord, seeing and recognizing and, and ensuring an appreciation for your presence in their life. And, Lord, I pray as we worship you as we sing these songs of your goodness. We sing these songs that remind us, Lord, that you won't fail us, that you love us, that your presence is always around us. Lord, I pray that it would steady us, those of us who are shaky. But bring perspective to those of us who've lost sight of what's important. And that we would be reminded, Lord, this morning of the truth of who you are, a good, good Father, perfect in all your ways, that pursues us and brings us back to loving fellowship with you. So as we worship you today, Lord, would you steady us? Would you get us back in the game? Would you give us direction and hope that we hear your voice? In Jesus' name we pray.